Hello and welcome to Edelman Editions. In this episode, we're joined by Jeremy Lucas, Edelman's Managing Director of Corporate Affairs, and Camille Oster, Associate Director, Edelman Emerge, as they sit down with Ben Hurst, an experienced public speaker, head of facilitation and training at Beyond Equality, and equality activist. Ben hosts workshops in schools and universities, as well as for brands and businesses, in addition to delivering engaging talks for platforms such as TED. He has spoken widely on toxic masculinity, and his talks have received hundreds of thousands of views. Stay tuned as the three discuss male allyship, equality, and the importance of fostering inclusive and empowering work cultures. Over to you, Camille. Hey, Ben. Hey, Jeremy. Great to have you you guys um, on the podcast. Um, I wanted to start by um, asking you, Ben, um, if you could tell us a little bit about um, why you're doing what you're doing. Um, where, where does the passion for allyship and, and, and all things equality come from? Mm, no, that's a, that's a, a cool question. I um, Do you know what? The answer's weird, actually. So I actually ended up doing this work kind of by accident. Um, and I, I, so I grew up in church um, and I had always thought that when I was older, I was going to be a pastor and work in full-time ministry. And that kind of didn't work out. So when I came out of university, I'd studied theology. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, I thought maybe I would teach, but then I really didn't like education. <laughs> so I decided I didn't want to like be a teacher. I was working as a cover teacher until I started to like really hate kids. And then I went to an organisation that was teaching in schools in South London. Um, and part of my job there was to make a project that was about teaching boys how to be good men. Um, and so when I started that project, I was like, oh, like what, what are you actually supposed to say to boys about why they should be good men? Um, and I was researching a bunch of different organisations that were doing similar work. And I came across what at the time was the Good Lad, or the Great Initiative, which then became the Good Lad Initiative, which is now Beyond Equality. Um, and I kind of sent them a message and was like, hey, would you be able to share some resources? I'm making this project. Um, and they said I could have the resources if I went to the training. So I just came along like I was kind of flying blind. Um, I turned up to the training um, and it was the first time for me that I'd been in a room um, that was full of men who were really talking about stuff. Um, and it also felt like the framework that they presented me with just kind of made sense. And I'd always struggled with like cognitive dissonance growing up. I, I really like don't like when things don't kind of match up in my mind. And and for me, there was a bit, there's a thing in uh, psychotherapy called a highest context marker, which is kind of like the lens of struggle that you see the world through. And for me growing up, that thing was always race. Um, and I think at that training, it was the first time that I'd understood that there were things other than race that also negatively impacted people. Um, and so once I, I kind of got my head around that, I was like, oh, I, I really like enjoy this. I really enjoy talking to people about it. Um, so I was volunteering with that organisation for a year and then I got a job. So I've been doing that for like the last six years now, um, working at Beyond Equality and kind of developing these programmes um, and ways of like helping people to understand that same piece of like information that I got that kind of changed the way that I was living my life. Um, so it was pretty organic. Um, and I think I... I yeah, I kind of just, once I realised how much it impacted people and how important it was, and also started to see how it impacted like the way that I was relating to people, I kind of just bought into it. And I was like, oh, this is obviously really important. Um, and it really like changes the way that people live their lives. So hopefully um, I, I get to do that work for a long time moving forward. Cool. Well, that's, that's fascinating, actually. Like It's almost like you created your own niche based on things you lived um, from the beginning to the end um, is, is fascinating. 
Um, and, and Jeremy, hi, could you could you tell us um, a little bit about what you do at Edelman and why you're interested in this in this having this conversation with with Ben and myself? Uh, of course. So yes, I'm I'm the managing director of our corporate reputation practice at Edelman, and uh, I mean, there's there's no question for me that this is a really pressing issue for our industry, but also for I think uh, corporate. Uh, public relations or corporate communications uh, as a subset of that, um, that that has, you know, uh, traditionally been slightly skewed uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, males in, to, in, in, in the makeup of our, of, of our teams. And, you know, that has to change and we need to ensure that, um, that we are giving females opportunity and supporting their progression and development on an equal footing with, with men because that will only sharpen our consultancy and our output for our clients and, and help uh, with the, our overall commercial objectives as, as a business. In terms of my personal experience and why I'm uh, particularly tuned into this issue now, uh, sort of came uh, relatively recently actually, but it sort of hit me unexpectedly. Uh, my partner and I gave, had our first child about three years ago and we decided that uh, my partner would uh, do nine months of maternity leave and then I would take the, the following three or four as uh, as part of the shared parental leave program and basically have a sort of daddy daycare, um, which would be the first time in my 20-odd year career where I would be having some some time out of, of work. What I think that gave me is a whole new perspective on the female uh, uh, experience d- during uh, maternity leave and returning to work and leaving work that I just simply never would have uh, would have had any idea of before and leaving work for a for a uh, for a, a large period of time um, you know all the anxieties that comes with that about the evaporation of opportunity or potential of, uh, evaporation of opportunity you know uh, client work disappearing relevance etc all those things you know which are, are, are unfounded in a lot of the cases but do naturally go through your your mind, and then returning to work, and everything that comes back to that, having to reestablish yourself, having to 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 show up in a in a in a, in a different way, having having the day to day challenges around having a, a a child also to 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 take care of, as well. So, having my having my experiences uh, and perspective changed through that really. Um, really allowed me to to start thinking about what well, well if i've now experienced that you know what does that look like for my for my female colleagues and are we doing everything as a business now i've seen it from their perspective to support them and ensure that actually we are treating them uh, uh with as much equity uh as, as we possibly can to give them the opportunities uh, that we would give any other member of our team and that's really brought brought the chickens home to roost uh, in terms of, of why i'm sort of passionate about this subject Oh, well, thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, and I think it's the case for all sort of equality-related discussions, it kind of transcends both work and personal life. So it's it's really interesting to see how it took shape in, in your own kind of different paths. Um, so let's get into the, the, the discussion around um, male allyship particularly. So I know, Ben, you, you've given a, a training to, to our, um, our Edelman teams in London uh, around how to... to take on board um, the, the concept of allyship, understand it, um, apply it to everyday life. It was, it was an incredible session. 
Can I ask you what it, what are the most frequent questions, comments, feedback you get from men and and other people when you give that training, which surely is isn't something that has been, you know, widely rolled out anywhere um, yet. And 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 I would be interested to, to know if it, it you know if there has been more appetite from companies to get that training recently as well. Yeah, no, there's there's been a massive uptake in terms of people wanting to engage men in the gender equality conversation. I think that uh, exploring masculinities like, is, is super important. And I think people have become a lot more aware of that, um, based, especially based on like recent events. Like I know like the murder of Sarah Everard was a huge moment of like an influx of interest in our organization and people kind of asking um what can we do like how can we fix this problem we've just become aware that this is like a massive issue and we need some solutions um and i think that that's like the the big question that we get asked is especially from men what is it that we can do to fix this um how do we solve the problem um and and it's a it's a really hard question actually because i don't know if there's a, a an easy answer i wish there was like a one like a two sentence answer that I could give and, and it would be done um but actually I think a lot of it is about um unlearning behaviors that we've been socialized into learning um learning to behave in different ways challenging attitudes that we maybe hold um because I think a, a lot of the stuff is below the surface mm. right and I think in these conversations particularly about like um gender um a lot of the attitudes and the beliefs that we hold lay way, way, way beneath the surface. Um, and it's interesting, like when I work with kids, kids don't really have filters. So they'll just tell you what they're thinking straight off the bat. Um, whereas adults, I feel like we're a lot more guarded about our opinions and our kind of beliefs. Um, so there's a lot of work to do in like kind of diving down into that kind of space and exploring that with men. Um, and I think the other piece of it is that... Um, people seem like they want answers but actually what they want is spaces to explore um and I, I think really like when people are asking for solutions um even if you give solutions people still have opinions and they still have stuff that they need to unpack about their own uh understandings of where they come from um whether that's like to do with identity and, and privilege and oppression and where those things lay for different people um or just to do with like things that they were taught growing up about what men are supposed to be like or what women are supposed to be like and how that then translates into the workplace. Um, so I think those are the kinds of questions that men men are really asking, like, what is it that I can do? Um, how do I change my workplace culture? How do I make women feel safe? How do I make women feel more included? Um, and those are really good questions. Those are really good starting points for us to, to, to begin to do that work. Um, but actually, I think the process of doing that is a lot longer and takes a lot more investment from people. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I liked what you said about the, the, the risk of jumping from reaction to action, like something happens and automatically you're going to f- try and find solution without thinking a little bit and pausing to put yourself in, in, in the people's shoes. And, and this concept of making empathy happening first where you are trying to understand the person's experience or the group of people's experience before you come to a solution is actually the, the, the most important learning here. Um, and so I'm, I'm just going to go to Jeremy and ask, Jeremy, do you, what do you think, like, how important is it that we spread that um, that concept of putting yourself in other people's shoes um, with men and other people who want to be allies, added men? What, what are we hoping 
those changes are going to bring to our workforce in you know in the near term in the long term what's the what's the goal of all this in terms of concrete landscape i think there's two things that i would say one is about responsibility uh, and the second is about perspective um you know, I think you know. I think that the, the tragic death of Sarah Everard has brought into into uh, sort of acute focus, really, the responsibility that um, uh, inclusion and equity is every and gender equality is everybody's responsibility. It is not simply just about. Uh, the management of any given business setting the tone. It's not look, people looking to uh, our HR business partners, partners to set parameters or guidelines. It is everybody's um, responsibility to help mould and shape an inclusive culture in the workplace. Um, and I think that is becoming uh, increasingly uh, accepted that everybody has a, a role to play. And I'd, I'd also reflect on, on Ben's comments uh, around a, a, a sort of a willingness from uh, from our from our male colleagues to want to help and want to get involved in the debate um, and support greater gender inclusion and equity, um, but sort of not knowing really where the the starting point is um, and not really knowing how to to do so in a way that doesn't feel clumsy or doesn't offend uh, or or in, indeed doesn't feel tokenistic. Uh, and I think that there 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 are some of the challenges our our, our male colleagues um, face in, in terms of the willingness versus the actual realization of the opportunity. What what I always talk about is 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 you know situational awareness, which is absolutely key to under, as a first port of call to unlocking sort of greater gender intelligence. That if we can sharpen our situational awareness. With by having greater vigilance to the sort of gender dynamics at play, understanding others' perspectives and uh, and realities, and how that manifests in the workplace, um, that um, that allows us to start to understand people's experiences much better and foster work cultures that are more inclusive uh, and empowering. And that is simply by, you know, being more vigilant, watching more carefully and acutely asking curious questions of female colleagues and sort of just engaging in generous listening. And, you know, I think that's something, you know, often that is uh, uh, forgotten and something that Ben has highlighted is that, you know, we, we're given two, two ears and a mouth and really we should listen first before we rush to act because it's only when we understand the experiences we're going to have a meaningful, uh, a meaningful conversation and take meaningful action. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think, like, it, on the listening point, sometimes um, I'm not sure every woman or person who feels um, excluded um, has the impetus to share proactively. So I think this concept of active listening, situational awareness, asking questions, prompting people, especially in a world where you know, we all work remotely and we all like faces on the screen and it's easy to let someone take ownership of a conversation much more than it is in a physical room. This concept of listening and asking question to get to the person's feelings is is, is really important. And leaning on to that, and, and this can be a question for either of you guys, do you, do you feel that concept of situational awareness, listening, prompting, how has that been impacted by the move to remote work? Um, how do we feel those questions of, 
people being less vocal or, or people being um, victims of, of, of uh, prejudice has has increased, decreased, stayed the same? What would you think has happened in the past year and a half? Yeah, so it's a really good question. So, and I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts actually on on how it's changed um, for you. But I guess from from some of the observations we've had, um, or I've had definitely doing corporate work, is like, I guess a big thing is that one of the things that we talk about often when we talk about masculinity is power. And I think the reason we talk about power is because power seems to be like the nexus of of the issue. Um, and actually like all of the kinds of things that we talk about tend to be the symptoms of that, of that issue. Um, so uh, w- when we talk about whatever it might be, I think once upon a time before COVID, a big problem was sexual harassment in the workplace. That seemed to be a conversation that loads of people wanted to have. Um, with the with COVID and the move to online working, that decreased massively. So people weren't in person. Um, they felt much less comfortable to um, make statements or make comments when things were being recorded or could be uh, pulled back up and you could see like chat logs and all of those kinds of things online um all of that like, loads of communications were happening via email so that changed a lot um but then i think um what they call mansplaining so th- this tendency that men have to like um over explain a point that's quite simple to understand or um take a point that somebody else has already said um a woman might have made and rephrase it in a way that the rest of the team might really engage with um i think that's something that i've noticed becoming a lot more common and we see that really interestingly even in trainings that we run um that there are um loads of men who really struggle with that listening piece that we've identified already um and i think that's a really hard thing to do actually like i think it is hard to like be aware of how much space you're taking up um, and to give space to other people and to affirm other people's ideas rather than reiterating them so i think those are some of like the small ways that we've seen it change there's been a, a big move away from um certain issues that used to be a big talking point and a, and a more of a move towards like noticing almost like the microaggressions that happen um, and i think those things become a lot more pronounced like the ways that we um the ways that we interact online um who we expect to take the minutes who we expect to take the notes in meetings how those responsibilities are distributed i think we notice a lot more people um being dissatisfied with those things now i don't know um for for you guys what what things you've been noticing yeah it's really interesting what you're saying about mansplaining and um and obviously that translating to i think i think people on video calls just also try to fill space right they fill fill time and fill space because we've got half an hour we need to talk about something and so that encourages people who think of themselves as problem solvers to just talk and talk and talk and people who are less likely to volunteer information about themselves or something else become a lot more passive um so i completely agree that that plays into um the dynamics of of diversity in that sense i think the other thing i've I've observed, if I'm thinking off the top of my head, and just while you were talking, I was realizing this, is the concept of introducing people. So in our in our business, we do a lot of client calls with external parties. We do a lot of calls with uh, what we call new business prospects or companies that we're trying to work with. And it used to be that either those meetings would happen in person or they would happen over the phone. Um, and in person, you would always have introductions at the beginning um, and you would have a bit of a you, you would be able to read the room so people would perhaps be a bit more 
focal um, or, or perhaps less depending on how intimidated they were by the actual physical presence. And then on calls, it was much easier to have people lead the conversation with other people listening and never being active. And with the video calls, you find yourself in a situation where you can't ignore your face on a screen. So you're not someone who's listening on the call. You you are taking part in the conversation if you're a woman, a junior woman, for instance. Um, listening on the call would not have been needed to be introduced beforehand, but is now, you know, on a screen. So it, she needs to be acknowledged. And so there's a necessity to for them to introduce, um, for, for people to introduce them um, to the client. But then in turn, that also means that if you, she's not participating at all throughout the call, then she's facing her own silent face in a room, in a room full of likely male um, taking ownership of the conversation. I'm going on a tangent, but I think it's just this idea of like how the video and voice kind of change the dynamics of power in a conversation where you need to show up well for a client and how important it is to proactively give the floor to to people who may not have it otherwise i can i completely agree and i think you know the whole i think there's a whole new etiquette uh, around video conferencing video calls and sort of more zoom culture so to speak that we are slowly working out uh, and and how best uh, how best to to navigate it uh, not only from a client service perspective but also you know from an equal opportunity perspective as well um <clears throat> What I would what I would say is, look, you know, we talking about Edelman are, you know, are in the, the client services game. You know, we are all about advisory and consultancy for our clients, um, and you know, we want to deliver that with passion and enthusiasm uh, and, and, and intellect. Um, what you know, what, what being remote and doing that via a video means is you sort of have to dial up by ten percent. Yeah. Your, your sort of personality, your enthusiasm um, to, to, to sort of to sell. And I think what that, that that does sometimes is is push people one way or the other. It forces the more dominant characters to to, to uh, dial up a, a notch, but then the people you know who, who might who might be waiting to be asked might therefore fall into the into the background a little bit. So I think you are absolutely right in saying that it's incumbent on us in this new way of working to make sure, the, the leaders of our business are actively being inclusive on, you know, on video calls, whether that's through introductions, asking for people's opinions, the way we spread out um, uh, particular roles, as you were saying, Ben, from minute taking right through to, to leading, the actual, uh, leading the actual meetings themselves. It's incumbent on, on us all to make sure that everybody is, is being given equal opportunities and we're not, we're not just conforming to, a, to an outdated stereotype. Right. And I think it's it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think with the advent of like the Zoom culture and this new world that we're in, there there was a I don't think many of us identified, but there was definitely a moment where cultural change was really easy to, to make because there was a completely new way of working. Um, and so we could have created whatever we wanted to create. Do you know what I mean? We could have made a set of rules at the beginning of that and said, this is how we engage. This is, everybody has a certain amount of time to talk or everybody's required to c contribute or whatever. Um, but I think we quite naturally fall into um, these roles and these expectations that, that we've already had. So I think, um, 
And it, once you're in that, it's a lot harder to undo it than it is to to recreate something. I always say that imagining something new is the hardest work. Um, problematizing things is seems to be really easy, like picking holes in things. Um, but actually saying, okay, this is what we've got. What could we move towards? What do we want to see? Um, becomes really hard. So I think that there's a, and like you say, we're still figuring it out that out quite slowly um so it feels that there's this massive opportunity to maybe reform the ways that we uh engage in workplace cultures whether that's like in meetings or in informal conversations or how we run trainings or whatever it might be onboarding new staff there seems to be all of these opportunities to like reimagine the ways that we do that yeah, that that's absolutely right. I think it's really difficult to see a disruption as an opportunity when you're an industry mm-hmm. like ours that even though it's trying to be as as um, face forward as possible, is still pretty traditional, right? Um, so when we all moved online, it was kind of panic. Let's put conference calls every day um, and then have some yoga classes and stuff. And then, but like not just the PR industry, every industry started doing that. And then actually slowly... I think we realized that there were so much opportunity in this ability to do things remotely to yeah include people brief them better give them access to technology that they wouldn't have had before so yeah it, as we move to the hybrid model which is again something new perhaps now is the time to think about okay what are the rules we can we can put in place that empower everyone in the room um because meetings is basically 90% of what we do um, but so c- c- moving on to, 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 to that but staying in the same um, theme do you think, do you guys think and, and maybe this is more for Jeremy given the, your experience in, in, in the PR industry specifically but do you think there are different expectations placed on men um, than on women that are very obvious in the same way that Ben was saying you know when you talk to kids and they think about masculinity they talk about bravery um strength that sort of thing do we think that like how does that translate in the workplace and, and particularly in our industry is there is there anything you guys see that that is it's pretty obvious so i so I, I think there's an outdated um an outdated construct that that um that used to be you know that uh, sort of corporate communications was was more focused on 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 males uh, and a brand and consumer communications were, were more focused or, or, but by female. I think, you know, that is sort of, you know, a very broad, crude um, and outdated assumption, as I say. But I think, um, you know, there is still some work to do for us to, 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 to break that down. And I think as we at Edelman moved to much more of an integrated, hybrid, multidisciplinary business, um, the, 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 the fruits of that will come to bear in terms of giving equal opportunity from uh, from a discipline perspective, right across right across our, our, our clients and right across our our, um, our our employee base, because you know we need to foster a culture of inclusion and opportunity and equity, because I think it plays directly into um, uh, the the existential battle for talent and the the current war on talent that we'll see. That you know, in terms of talent acquisition, uh, by opening our eyes um, uh, and and challenging the sort of norm the, the norms that I've just sort of gone through, you know, we expand our talent pool. We offer will offer greater consultancy to our clients. 
you know, but by by uh, opening um, our eyes, will also and, and giving greater opportunity, will also increase our talent retention as well. You know, we will have less people leaving our business and looking for other opportunities because we are, there is so much opportunity within our and our business. And ultimately, we will deliver much greater innovation, creativity, consultancy, advisory, whatever whatever guys um, our output comes. Uh, will be of a much higher quality, much more culturally relevant uh, to serve the the needs of our clients. So for, for me, we, we really must lead the way here uh, and really define the industry to, to achieve what, what we want to achieve, not only for our for, for our current uh, talent pool, but our prospective one and indeed our, our clients as well. Yeah, I think I think what you say is really true, right? Like there's this idea of what men are supposed to be and what masculinity is that kind of exists in the zeitgeist. Um, and I think another thing that's important for, for me in this work is that men are not monolith, right? So all men are not the same. Um, and there is, I, I don't know if, um, like we have lists of characteristics that people come up with um, of what men are supposed to be. And, and in workplaces, often those lists tend to include things like being dominant or being leaders, um, being deci- decision makers, being strong, being problem solvers, being logical. And that's all fine. Um, and I don't think any of those things are like inherently negative. But I think another thing that maybe gets missed out of the conversation is what the impact of those expectations is on men who comply to them and on men who don't comply. Um, because actually, I think one of the big problems is that when like that list of things, so being strong, being dominant, all of those kinds of ideas um, are not only attributed to men in the workplace, they tend to be attributed to people at higher levels in organisations. Um, and what we tend to see is that women also can adopt those characteristics in order to climb um, career ladders and, and to, to present in certain ways in the workplace. Um, and I just don't know if those those models of, of leadership serve us very well anymore. I, don't, I think in lots of cases they do. Um, but in lots of cases they actually lead to really poor outcomes I think in terms of like mental health in terms of stress um, in terms of maintaining relationships in the workplace all of those things can make it really hard um, for men and for other people to engage um, and to and to stay happy and healthy in their workplace and I think one of the things that's been really interesting that we've also seen during lockdown has been um, the kind of adoption of childcare as a as a role um particularly for loads of men because they're working from home so there's no reason that they can't engage in that and we've seen like loads of men who have really started to enjoy being around their kids also loads of men who have really struggled but also like a, a collective understanding of like childcare being work and often unpaid work that people are just expected to do and usually the women in our lives are are expected to do um, with no remuneration Um, and I think like those kinds of understandings um, one help to make it easier to support other people but also bring a lot of freedom um, into the lives of of the men that we work with and the the men that are around us Um, because actually there is no set way of doing this right there is no set way of being a man I think there's set ways of being professional um, and I think we can challenge those as well and I think we've seen that happen during Covid as well Um, but maybe once we start to to 
kind of identify those things and deconstruct them and pick them apart a little bit, um, we start to see that certain things maybe don't serve us as much as we thought that they did. Um, and again, we get to that space of like the opportunity for transformation and reimagining what things can look like, which I think is a really positive space. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and and even on like the, the words you were saying about being dominant, being um, authoritative, that also those characteristics also come with confidence, and confidence most often um, comes with privilege, right? So it's not just about men and women; it's about you know what privileged situation you have been able, you have been in that has made you able to to be that confident with your ability to perform a certain task at work. And as you say, is that really the quality we want in leadership, in making decisions, in shaping a workforce? Um, so yeah, even just beyond be you know uh, gender pay gap and things like that, there's 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 a real opportunity to rethink what we want our leadership class to be and what what kind of of objectives they need to be associated with in terms of skills um well that's been really really interesting um conversation i mean there's so much more we could say about it um before we close maybe i'll just ask both of you if there's like one or two things you want to you want to close with um any anything you feel like we we've missed that we need to 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 tackle or or any important message you want to you want to convey to our listeners um no i i just loved your last point actually about um this not just being about gender yeah. right and it not just being about um men and women but also opening that conversation up to like people with privilege often manifest certain characteristics um, because of that privilege and and things that we really value in workplaces like confidence and and dominance and being assertive um, often come from experiencing privilege in loads of different ways Um, and I I think again it's really easy to problematize it and say that's wrong Um, but I think the more important question to ask is for the people that don't have those privileges and therefore don't um, necessarily develop those characteristics how do we encourage and build those characteristics in those people um, and I think once we start to ask those questions um, we start to see massive change um, not only in like the diversity in our, in our workplaces but also in like our retention rates of staff and and staff happiness and how many people actually want to be there and want to show up for work so I think like when we're talking about allyship those are really good questions to ask and and to try and build into our practice I I completely agree, Ben, and I'm incredibly proud to work for for a a business like Edelman in the UK that has gender parity at a senior leadership level and indeed has uh, 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 co-CEOs, one male, one one female. But I completely agree with you that it goes, you know, it goes beyond that. It's about, you know, fostering the characteristics um, and the behaviours uh, within the workplace that that allow conversations to happen and that allow people to grow and have awareness and under understand backgrounds and understand perspectives um and it, it, you know we always have to be in a position of self-learning self-reflection no one and no business is ever the sort of finished uh, article and it is a perpetual state that we need to be in of recognition of others of challenging ourselves challenging our uh, our systems challenge, challenging our shape in terms of uh, in terms of the, the levels in our business and the the the, um, the diversity at any given level and and just being constantly reflecting on who we are and what what we want to be and are we are we making the right decisions 
given given our ultimate objective. So uh, yes, it's we can never really stop learning, stop listening, and, and stop acting. Powerful words to end. Thanks, Jeremy, and thank you so much, Ben, for for that discussion.